I've asked three of our Mesa Grande students here this morning. Jasmine Parton is a junior, Ryan Soderblom is a sophomore, and Mitchell Fairhurst is a freshman to join in on a conversation of why God seems to have gone silent in the world. Where is God and why hasn't he seemed to have been speaking to us like he used to in, uh, in the Old Testament? So pull up a chair and listen in as we have a little conversation about this. Where has God, what's up with this, guys? Where has God gone? Well, like you mentioned, um, God hasn't always been distant. Like, even in the beginning, um, he walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so humans enjoy their free communion with God and their creator. That didn't last for very long. Well, yeah, but that wasn't God's plan after all. I mean, we're the ones who chose to go out and sin. Eventually, if you look at the Israelites, it turns out that, I don't know, they, they just need clear guidelines from God. So God takes a very active role in their lives. Yeah, you know, this is where we see the Ten Commandments come into play, and, you know, God is really active in the Israelites' lives, whether it's in a cloud or on Mount Sinai in the desert. He even talks to Moses regularly. So it's safe to say back then, at least, that people weren't complaining about God being distant or aloof or... Yeah, well, I said aloof. You, you would have thought, thought that, but, I mean, even then, with God's direct presence, they, you would have thought that they would have had a more longing to have a personal relationship with him, but apparently not. They just turned into a bunch of disobedient, ungrateful, ignorant people who wish they could go back to suffering in Israel, you know, and even when they worshipped an idol when God was talking to Moses. Yeah, seriously. It's just that they totally disregarded God's presence with them. I mean, he would tell them to do stuff like go out and fight, and then they would sit around or make peace. He'd tell them to make peace, they'd go out and fight. He'd tell them to sit, they'd move. He told them to move, they'd sit. Typical Israelites, what can you yeah, say? the Amorites. Oh, yeah, the Amorites. Uh, God says, do not go out and fight the Amorites, because I won't be with you. You'll be defeated by them. And what'd they do? They got owned by the Amorites. Translation, they were defeated. <laughs> <laughs> but what's even more amazing is that, like, the thing we've been longing for, that direct guidance from God and just his physical contact with us was the thing that wasn't really working out for the Israelites and like even though God was physically there it kind of was setting them back on their faith it wasn't helping them get closer it's like almost kind of like it had a weakening effect a bad effect yeah that's true I mean if you think about it if you're in the Israelites shoes why go after a God when he's already right there why have faith in him when he's already guaranteed the outcome and why make any decisions when God already made them all for you so what, what you're saying is, is that God's directness with humanity, as weird as it sounds, almost had the exact opposite effect that we would have assumed. We would have thought that they would have responded out of worship and love, yet they seem to be responding with fear and rebellion. Yeah. You know, but this brings up a different point of view to consider, and that's God. I mean, we're always looking at things from our perspective, you know. Why doesn't God speak to us anymore? Why isn't he present in our lives or like he was in the Old Testament, and why can't we feel him? But, I mean, you got to look at it from God's point of view. Why does he even care about us? I mean, if you really think about it, we're so small in this universe, and what is it that he wants with us, and what's getting in the way of that? It's true. You know, I have a friend that just had a baby boy, a new baby boy, like last week, and I saw pictures of the guy. He's not really cute yet. He's still <laughs> kind of wrinkly, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Ugly I'm sorry. Baby. You know, newborns are not, I don't know. But this father told me that there was something about 
looking down and holding his son next to his heart that is something that's indescribable. And I got to think that God must have felt something like that when he looked down on his creation in, in the Garden of Eden and pronounced it good. You know, he was a God that just totally delighted in his relationship with his creation. Yeah, so because of his love, like, for us, his people, um, even though we tend to dr drift away, like, he keeps pursuing after us. And, like, he could have just left us cold out in the dirt. Yeah, really. He could have just abandoned us. But he didn't. And since he didn't, it was clear that God's interaction with us had to change. All of God's powerful displays, they were, they were scaring the people, you know? They were all seeing God like, ah, they're scary. <laughs> it kind of created some distance between them. It did create distance. Yeah. It didn't create a loving relationship, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you have power, you can do a lot of different stuff. You can make a person clean for you. You can make them chop wood for you. You can make them do anything. You can even make them denounce their family and religion. But you can't make them love you. I have a quote here from Douglas John Hall, and it reads, God's problem is not that God is not able to do certain things. God's problem is that God loves. Love complicates the life of God as it complicates every life. Whoa, wait. God's problem is that God loves. Okay. That's pretty deep. You're a deep thinker, Mitchell. <laughs> Thank you. So, in a way, uh, God kind of, because of that freedom that he gives, he kind of almost, we see him kind of shying away now. The people are kind of saying, we don't want you to be that direct force, that direct presence. There's this distancing that's happening, and he slowly kind of says, okay, I'll give you what you want. Well, eventually, like, the Israelites didn't want his guidance anymore, direction, and so they demanded him to give him give them a new king, just rule them just like all the other nations. And even though that ripped out God's heart, like he loved them so much, he gave them what they, they asked for and what they were demanding, and then he kind of just withdrew from that scene. Yeah, eventually over a long enough period of time, the only way that God could communicate with his people, the only way that his people would listen to him was through his prophets, you know. People like Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and they didn't always bring good messages. You know, when God seemed to forsake Israel, his prophets witnessed God's love for his people. Oh, and then you get to the prophet Hosea. This guy's amazing. Brian loves the story. Oh, yeah. Okay, so God tells Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute, of all things. First off, you're thinking, whoa, God, are you crazy? But... Anyway, he marries her, and he loves her, but she keeps on leaving him again and again and again. But every time, he, op he welcomes her back with open arms. And that must be how God feels. Maybe, yeah. Kind of like that, that precious baby that he had once held so close in creation week, all of a sudden had forgotten about its parent. It just totally said, I don't want any part with you anymore. Man. So we see that God kind of backs off, and he backs away. He's silent for a while, a good 400 years out of history, and we don't really hear from him. So where does he resurface again in history? Well, after the time with the prophets, um, like, we don't really know that much about it because not much is written, but I'm sure the people of Israel were asking the same things we ask now, like, where did God go? Or, like, what, does he even care about us still? Is he still there? But after many years, God does come back in a real way. Instead of using the old methods of, like, the Old Testament, all those miracles and just outspoken words. He just, after all that, simply became one of us. Oh, yeah. And in the life of Jesus, we see something amazing. God isn't there just putting on a power show and scaring all the people anymore. He's, he's there in a personal way, you know? He's yeah. walking with them and he's talking with them. 
And if anyone really wants to see what God thinks about them or about people or about anything, all they have to do is look at Jesus. It's amazing. But, you know, you got to wonder, you know, this was, Jesus did some miracles and he did some, some divine things that other human beings couldn't do. This would have been the exact perfect timing for God to, to show his power and show his might and set the record straight from here on out, uh, but he doesn't really do that. Well, he, he kind of did. He did heal lots of people, but he, he really kept it quiet when he did. And there was interesting. Yeah, there were a lot of people that he didn't heal, too. I mean, he could have healed everyone. He could have fed the entire world, but he chose not to. It almost seems like he didn't want to overwhelm the people with a show of power. He was trying to avoid encouraging them to make him their king. Maybe he kind of sensed that shallowing effect that it had, had on the Israelites in the Old Testament and, yeah. and their faith. Oh. Yeah, that could be. I mean, if you think about it. He really held back the quantity of miracles, but he also, he would tell people, don't tell anybody about it. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, it's interesting because that's like everything we long for is all the miracles and just that direct contact with God. But those weren't the things that Jesus was thinking would deepen our relationship with God. Because um, Jesus was teaching us the new message of obedience and love and like, he just didn't want us to get distracted by all those things out there that it would end up being like a circus balance act. So if God, if God and Jesus didn't, didn't communicate with us in the same type of power that God of the Old Testament did, then what was his purpose in, in, in the context of our relationship with God? Well, I think it all comes together at his death, you know? When he dies on the cross, he's beaten and ridiculed by everyone. And this isn't just a person, this is God. And we're like his children, and we're out there putting nails in his hands. And it just shows the difference between a God who shows himself through power and might and a God who shows himself through love and grace. I mean, he could have forced every single person to worship him, but instead he chose to draw people to him through the loving sacrifice of his son. Well, yeah, he even said that greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And that just shows, you know, the the way that God worked in, in Jesus to get to us. But it kind of, the fact that we're still sitting here today wondering if God is still communicating with us, if he's still there, if he's still present, if he's still talking, kind of makes you wonder, you know, why, what was, what what good did Jesus do? If he came, he left, but it didn't, we still don't communicate with God like we used to. So what, what's going on with that? Well, for so long, God was very distant from, like, all his people that they, like, we're growing this fear from him because of his, all his might and power. Because if an Israelite went and touched the Ark of the Covenant, they would die. But if Jesus came and touched him, he'd be healed again. So it was really Jesus who was bringing humanity closer to God. And, and this is actually a pretty revolutionary idea in the course of history when we look oh, at right, Jewish, yeah. uh, Jewish tradition and, and their approach to God. Uh, for God to have been present is a totally diff- new concept. Well, yeah, basically the only contact that the Israelites had with God was once a year at the Day of Atonement. They would have one guy go into the most holy place once a year, and before he went in, he'd have to do all sorts of weird stuff, like offer five animal sacrifices, take ritual baths, and wear special clothing. And when he did finally go in, they tied a little rope around his ankle, and they put little bells on his robe, and these were not good bells. They were not Merry Christmas bells, were Not Merry Christmas bells, bad bells. (laughs) And if those bells stopped ringing, they'd know the guy was dead so they could pull him out. <laughs> Can you imagine approaching God with that type of fear 
and trembling. We, we have no concept of, of what that's like. Yeah, that's why it's so crazy, though, because of Jesus, we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence without any fear, just like it says in Hebrews. Uh, but, you know, so God did come, and he gave us that direct access to, to God, which was totally, totally revolutionary. But, you know, the, the fact is, is that he also came to do more than that. He had a group of followers he was growing while on earth, uh, the church. And, you know, it's, what, what's significant about this group that Jesus was, was mentoring and growing, um, especially in the context of our conversation about God's presence in the world today? Because Jesus came, but then he left, so. Well, as Jesus was leaving earth, like, he told his disciples that he, God was going to be sent, sending his spirit to be with them, and that they would have his power to just guide them and everything, just like he, with the Israelites in the church, God would, would be living in their hearts and in, their, in them, just like eventually he will with us. Yeah, like Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Mm. So we are, we are embodying God in a way. But, so let me just get this straight. You're telling me that first God acted directly and, and, and in a real physical, tangible way with the Israelites in the Old Testament. And then he goes and becomes one of us. He's still actively involved, so that's still good. Then he leaves. And then you're telling me now that he is putting it all on our shoulders why would he take that risk in, in wanting to work through us? You know we're going to mess it up at some point. Oh, yeah, and we have messed it up. This isn't terrible. But if you think back to God as both a parent and a lover, you know, if you have a newborn, you have to care for it in certain ways. You have to give it food. You have to give it clothing. And eventually, that little baby becomes a teenager. <laughs> That's scary. And, yeah, you have to give the teenagers a little more freedom. You can't just spoon feed them the whole time. But for the peop two people who are in love romantically, it's a completely different pattern. I mean, the person's out there with the freedom and independent, just like a teenager wants to be. But, um, <laughs> like, they choose to go into this relationship and just love them for who they truly are. It's practically what God is looking for, like, looking for in us. So it's practically like God's been romancing us this whole time. Yeah, it's like in the beginning with the Israelites, God just babied them along because they weren't really mature enough yet. They were still like little kids, mm -hmm. but they still needed blunt parental guidance. And, you know, as they grew, God's interaction with them changed too, you know, from Jesus to the church of today. Church of today. You know, now yeah. we don't have any barriers to get to God because the church is in us. Right. It's still frustrating, though, that God doesn't seem to use his power. Like, like he once did. And so, you know, at the end of all this conversation, what, what would you say to someone who's still wondering if God, you know, why God isn't, isn't more visible? Well, God completely wants us to choose him and love him for who he truly is. But he does this with a restrained shyness. Hmm. It's kind of like if a king is in love with a peasant and she's kind of like nervous about it because he's royal and everything. So he might set back all his announcers and just all the royalness about him just so he can be with her unnoticed. And, like, he just wants her to love him for who he truly is and not just all the glory that he has. Uh, that, that's a great way to look at it. You know, God is, uh, doesn't want to overwhelm us with, you know, shows of power and miracles. And, and uh, so he, he goes quietly and unnoticed, just hoping that we choose him freely.
And if we do choose him, then we choose to embody him as well, which is a big responsibility. Because chances are the people who are around you and I on a daily basis are not going to hear God's voice um, audibly, maybe not going to hear miracles, maybe aren't going to see a mighty act of God, but they will see us. So in closing today, if someone asks you if God is still present in the world, if he's still speaking in the world, he is. He's active and he's present in you and I. He's desperately reaching out through the church to us. And we, as the church, can't take that responsibility lightly. So today, go. Be God embodied in this body, the church. Be his hands and feet today. And then, maybe people won't wonder if God is still present. Amen. Amen. Will the ushers come forward, please? Our offering this morning is for our local church budget. Loving God, loving people is what we're all about. And this morning's offering helps us support the programs that help us love God and love people. Some of these programs are our upcoming Easter program on April 11, our vacation Bible school in June, member services. In our current economy, more of our members are needing help. All of our Sabbath school programs and the church's generous support to Mesa Grande. All those offerings will go towards church budget and any designated uh, offerings like for the organ or Pastor Chris's farewell needs to be put in a tithe envelope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for blessing us. And we ask that you bless our tithes and offerings. Amen.
Dear Lord, we thank you for being a God who is present. And Lord, as we take the big responsibility to embody you to everyone around us, please bless us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.